can find the reading on page 1154 of the Church Bibles. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obliged to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbour as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, Sorry. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. The second reading is 1 Corinthians 9. That's page 1133 in the Visitor's Bible. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defence to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes, who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk. Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it's written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us. Because when the ploughman ploughs and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we do not use this right. On the contrary, 
we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar in the same way. The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rites, and I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than anyone deprive me of this boast. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel I may offer it free of charge and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Well, thanks very much, Sean and Rosemary, for reading for us. It would be good to have that passage from 1 Corinthians open, because that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. And uh, how about we pray and ask God to help us? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word that is spoken through your Holy Spirit to us this evening. Father, we pray that that same Spirit that helped author these words will work in us now to grant us understanding of what they mean. And Father, we pray that he would continue to be at work in our lives, uh, helping us to make whatever changes we need to so that we can respond in the right and appropriate way for the sake of honouring Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, we pray in his name. Amen. Well, how much do you value your rights? And what would you be prepared to give them up for? Now, I'm not so much talking about your basic human rights or rights pertaining to race or gender. I'm talking about your right to pursue whatever career you want, to live wherever you like, to own whatever you want, to marry whoever you'd like, to go wherever you want, to have lots of family time, to send your kids to whatever school you want to, to do whatever you want with your free time, to sleep whenever you'd like, to eat whatever you want. I'm talking about those sorts of things. How much do you value your rights? And at what point would you be prepared to give them up? Now, obviously, your freedom may be limited with some of those things by other factors, like I can't afford to buy what I want to buy, or I haven't got the skills to work that particular job, or the person I want to marry just isn't interested in me, or the kids 
keep me awake anyway even though I want to sleep you know those sort of things sometimes your freedom is limited but what would you be prepared to give up your rights for last week we were introduced to the principle knowledge puffs up but love builds up and we spoke about what that means for our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ we must never exercise our rights and freedoms in a way that causes another brother or sister to stumble it will destroy them And in doing so, we actually sin, even though it's our right to do that activity. This week we're going to be speaking about what this principle means for our relationship with people outside the church community. And we're going to see these two ideas in juxtaposition. You see in verse 1, Paul says, I am free. And in verse 19 he says, I make myself a slave to everyone. How can Paul be free and a slave at the same time? Well, these issues come in the context of questions about the credibility of Paul's ministry. Why is it that he doesn't get paid for his work? The Corinthians added two and two together, they came up with five. If he's not getting paid for his work, it must be because he's worthless. He's no good. He's unimportant. Why should we listen to him? Because surely a decent speaker in this town would be worth big bucks and he doesn't charge us anything. He mustn't be any good. Or perhaps they were wondering why Paul's behaviour changed depending on who he was with. So with one group of people he'd behave in a certain way and then he went and hung out with another group of people and he did different stuff. And sometimes it looked hypocritical or contradictory. Is he some sort of spiritual chameleon? Is he just trying to fit in with whoever he wants and, and do whatever he can not to stand out amongst the crowd? Is, is that what's going on there? Well, Paul responds to these concerns about his credibility by stating that he is free and that he is a slave at the same time. And he reveals that he has one goal in mind and the one goal is to win as many people as possible for Christ. He begins in verse 1 by defending his entitlement to be known as an apostle. You see it there, verse 1, he has seen the risen Lord Jesus. Now in Acts chapter 1, when the apostles were looking for someone to replace Judas, who betrayed Jesus, a traitor, they were looking for someone who was a witness to the resurrection. And as you read on through Acts, you get to chapter 9 and you see, Paul indeed met the risen and exalted Lord Jesus. But also in verses 1 and 2 here, we see that the Corinthians could be sure that he was an apostle by the work he did among them. He says, surely if if nobody else cares or understands, surely you do. You saw my work. Surely at least you believe I'm an apostle. You see, if my ministry wasn't authentic, this church wouldn't exist. None of you would be Christians, but the church is here. You are Christians. I'm authentic. You can see from looking at yourselves. And so Paul had credibility as an apostle and so then he goes on to talk about his rights that he's entitled to as an apostle. What were they? Verse 4, he had a right to eat and drink whatever he wanted. Verse 5, he had a right to have a wife who supported, uh, who was supported along with him. And in verse 6, if the other apostles had the right to be supported in their work, Were not he and Barnabas entitled to the same support? And the implication of those questions, he asked, was that of course he was entitled to those things. 
Just to add to that, then in verses 7 to 12, Paul outlines the obligations of the Corinthians to him. And he uses some uh, analogies there. The serving soldier has the right to rations. The vine grower eats from the crop. The herdsman drinks the milk of his sheep and goats. The same should apply to the apostle and the congregation in which he works. Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain, he quotes from the law of Moses. In the same way God cares about the working farm animal, God cares that people are able to derive their sustenance from the work they do. You see in verse 11, if we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? In other words, if Paul is working for the Corinthian church, they have an obligation to provide for him. Yet Paul relinquishes his rights. He relieves the Corinthians of their obligation to him. Have a look at the second half of verse 12 and you'll see why. He says, But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul worked so that the Corinthians didn't have to pay him. Paul remained single so that his time was more flexible without his commitment to wife and children. At what point was Paul prepared to give up his rights? At any point when standing up for his rights impinged on the gospel. At any point when his entitlements would make it more difficult for people to hear the gospel and to respond to it. At any point when people's attention could be distracted by something else rather than focus on their response to Jesus. Each year, footy teams come up with slogans, membership slogans, to attract people to sign up as members for their club. Now, you guys all know I go for Carlton. I've been a member for 20 years this year, so they tell me. And Carlton are the Navy Blues, right? Now, a few years ago, Carlton were coming off their worst period in history, and so their membership slogan, we were just starting to be competitive again, their membership slogan that year was, they know we're coming. It's a bit out there. Uh, unfortunately, we never quite arrived and uh, we kind of peeked our head into the finals for a couple of years and then last year we ran last again and the club went into turmoil. The coach is gone, we've, we've turned over, there's 15 new players at the club this year, hopefully they can do better, you know, the whole thing's just... And so the membership slogan this year is bound by blue. You know, we're all in it together. We're all bound together as one team. Now you may have heard of, may have heard of another club in the AFL called Essendon. They've been in the news a bit because of a doping saga that's been going on and on and on and on and on for a few years now. Do you want to know what their membership slogan was the year that that story broke? Whatever it takes. Oopsie. Whatever it takes. You see here, Paul's got a similar slogan, doesn't he? His mantra is, whatever it takes for the gospel including giving up his rights, if that's what helps. He explains it further in verse 15. He says this. Have a look. He says, I have not used any of these rights, and I'm not writing this in the hope that you would do such things for me, for I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. 
If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this. That in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Here's my reason for refusing payment for my work, he says. It is in preaching the gospel I may offer it free of charge. I don't want any of my listeners to confuse my preaching with self-interest. I don't want any of them to think I'm only doing this because I'm obligated to work to receive a wage. I don't want any of them to think that, that I'm doing it so they will reward me with money. When I preach... I want them to hear the message about Jesus for what that is and I want them to repent. I don't want them to be concerned about what's in it for me. Now, once a person is converted, things change. They go from being a receiver of the gospel to a supporter and partner of the gospel. And Sean and I are extremely grateful for your support. Because your giving in this church frees us up to spend all our time working in ministry and that's a great thing. We're very grateful for your generosity. Without it, we wouldn't be able to do that. So thank you for your generosity. But to outsiders, we want the message about Jesus to be a message of grace. We don't want them to feel under any obligation. Now, what might that look like for our church? Well... For example, while we charge a small fee for weddings and funerals, we charge the fee for the use of the buildings. Sean and I don't actually charge for our time. Any money we receive for a wedding or a funeral goes into the church account. It doesn't come to Sean or I personally or individually. Uh, It's great to be able to offer outreach ministry in our community as a gift to the community. So, for example, Scripture costs us a thousand, somewhere between a thousand dollars and around twenty-five hundred dollars a year. It, it costs more if it's a year where we have to update all our teacher manuals. But we don't charge the parents for that anymore. We did once upon a time, but now we don't, because we want to offer Scripture as a gift to school children. Or Carols in the Park is another example. We don't charge for people to come. Yes, we charge for consumables like food, but to put on the carols and to put on the family fun time, we do that without cost to the people who come. You see, when we reach out to the lost with the gospel of Jesus, we can't let ourselves be distracted by the motivation of money or by bums on seats. That's not what it's about. Preaching the gospel is about us wanting to see Christ honoured as Lord and Saviour in every community. And preaching the gospel and calling people to repent is how Christ is honoured in every community. So we don't want people ever thinking that they can somehow respond to the gospel by paying. As if giving money is a sufficient response to Jesus. Instead, we want their thinking, their brains to be uncluttered so that they know that they need to make a personal response to Jesus of repentance and faith. So for the sake of the gospel, Paul gives up his rights and his entitlements so that he can freely preach and so people can freely respond 
to God's grace. Now, what does that look like in practice for him? Well, Paul shows us in verse 19, and here's where we switch from Paul being free to Paul being a slave. You'll see it there in verse 19. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, but I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Now that's the same principle of love that we saw last week, isn't it? I'll do whatever I can for the sake of the other person. I am free, but I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I will do whatever it takes to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus, says Paul. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Now that doesn't mean that Paul is indulging in sin. He's under the law of Christ. It doesn't mean he's just blending in with the crowd. He still lives as salt and light in the community But what it does mean is he is using his freedom to make it as easy as possible for people to hear about Jesus. And when you think about Paul, doesn't that remind you of Jesus and what he did for us to secure our salvation? Yeah, Jesus, who who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus made himself a slave by giving up his life as a ransom for many. Jesus became a man so that he might save mankind. Jesus did what was necessary for us to be saved. And so this is what Paul also does for the sake of reaching the lost. You see, despite being free, Paul is a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. He follows the example of Jesus and he sets the example for us to do the same. And so what might that look like for us as individuals? In what ways might we give up our rights for the sake of winning people to Christ? It's a hard question because giving up your rights means there's a cost. The cost might be our time, it might be our family, it might be our finances, it might be our wants and desires... If you've got a commitment to ministry of some sort in a regular fan, that might mean giving up parties and birthdays and family dues so you can be committed to your ministry. 
Are we willing to enslave ourselves to win people to Christ? To become all things to all people so that we might save some? Let me ask you some questions. Are we able to give up some of our time to reach the lost, even when it seems inconvenient? Are we able to give generously to reach the lost, even if it means not purchasing some of the things that we'd really like? Do we have to pursue our career as far as we can? Or is it better to sacrifice getting ahead for the sake of reaching colleagues and to give us more time and energy for our family and ministry? Can we take up a new hobby or a new interest that would enable us to spend more time with someone we're talking to about Jesus? I heard a story through the week. Someone took up playing golf once a week so he could have four hours of conversation with his mate. Would any of us consider moving into one of the new housing estate areas so that we can help build the community and create opportunities to share the gospel with others, the new residents in the area? When there's someone new at church, will you give up sitting where you normally prefer sitting so you can sit with them and encourage them? Are you willing to give up time to train yourself to share the gospel, to be better equipped to speak about the Bible, to be able to give your testimony, to speak about current day issues from a biblical perspective which always come up in conversations as we try to reach the lost? Let's make it more concrete for a moment, hey? I want you to think of one non-Christian person you know it might be a family member, it might be a friend, a colleague, a neighbour. One non-Christian person you know. You got that in your head? All right. How might you give up your rights to help that person to be saved? Now, giving up your rights, of course, might mean becoming like them or giving up your right to be comfortable or to use your spare time. Who's that person? And what can you do to help them be saved? Now, of course, we all exist in, in more than one community, so what we do for, and I'm sure we've got more than one non-Christian person that we can think of, so what we do in each different community for each person might be different. To a family member, I might have to enslave myself in, in one particular way. To a neighbour, in a different way. To a fellow student or a work colleague, a different way again. Paul says, I am free, but I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Can you say the same thing about yourself? Let's broaden that question out a little bit more. Do you think we could say that about our church? Do you think our church does whatever it can? to help win people to Christ. What would it look like for us as a church to become all things to all people so that we might save some? Or perhaps we could give further thought to, to ideas like this. You know, Will we urge Parish Council to use money from our budget so we can do gospel ministry to the lost people in our community for free? 
Of course, anything to do with the church depends on the individual members of the church helping. So if that's what you want to urge parish council to do, will you give more money so they can do it? When we plant a new congregation, will you give up the comfort of being in this congregation for the sake of reaching new people? How do we go at reaching the lost, do you think? We have lots of different events, don't we? And we've already mentioned some tonight. There's, there's a men's event, there's a women's event, there's children's and family events. We've got the Easter hat-making event in a few weeks' time. Get involved. Be part of the church as we reach out to the lost in the community. Most of the work gets done for you. But we need people to be here for it. Uh, for Carol's in the Park... I know this seems nuts talking about this in February, but it, what did I say this morning? It's only about 480 shopping days till Christmas. Anyway, I know that's too many for one year, but that's a joke. We've made two significant changes in recent years to carols in the park. Uh, firstly, we introduced family fun time. Why? Because we thought if we put on fun activities for the kids prior to carols on stage, more people would come. And they did. Then we decided, well, hey, Let's invite the schools to be involved. And so we've invited choirs from a couple of schools to come along because when the school choir comes, they bring their families. And that's been fantastic. We've had heaps and heaps of visitors come to carols in the park for the last couple of years, but it's meant that we need to change something else, which is when we host the event. Because we want to reach more lost people in the community and we want to hold the event at the time when most people can come, and if the schools help provide that for us, then we need to have the event before school finishes for the year. So the old rule of thumb where carols in the park was sort of like, you know, the last Saturday before Christmas, it's different now. It's the last Saturday before school breaks up. And I can tell you right here, right now, get your diary out, write it in, it's the 10th of December this year. That's about as early as it'll ever be. But this year, carols in the park is on the 10th of December. That's our biggest outreach event to the community. Will you partner with us and get involved in reaching out to the lost people in our community with the gospel of Jesus? While we're talking about church, what about when when people come to church for the first time? What do you think unchurched people are looking for when they walk into a church? A warm welcome? I'm sure they are. Good Bible teaching? Some of them might be. We hope they are. And we want to do that well. Good singing? Well, many of us love singing in church. Singing is great. It's a biblical thing to do. We're, we're taught to do it. We're, we're, it's, it's a great thing to do. But did you know that for the unchurched person who's here for the first time, it's really weird And so they're not thinking about good singing when they walk into a church. Now, those things are all very important. We want to do them well. We've got to do them well. But it's not what outsiders concern themselves about. Okay, I read an article recently which reported on a a large survey of people who visited church for the first time and they were asked, "What, what, what were you concerned about when you went to church? You want to know what their top five concerns were? Just This will help you get into the head of an outsider. One, the women's restroom, the toilet. Was it clean? Was it big enough to cope with demand? Okay. Number two, kids' areas. 
Is there a clean, secure area where my child will be safe? Number three, parking. Was there a spot available when I turned up? Were there guest spots? Was there a covered area if it was raining? Were there spots for people with with walking difficulties close by? Number four, signage and information. Do we have adequate signage throughout the whole facility? Is it obvious where I need to go? And if I need to get help from someone to know where to go, where do I go to get help? Is that obvious for me when I show up at your church? And the fifth thing is seating. Because first-time guests want to be guaranteed a seat and they want to find that seat as quickly as possible. Otherwise, they feel really awkward. And to the outsider, if the building is 80% full, it may as well be chockers. Now, can we as church members, when we sit down for church, you know, move to the centre of the aisle, for example, to leave the, so move to the centre of the road, to leave the aisle seats free? Can we sit closer to the front so that when people arrive late, there's seats available at the back? These are all things of, of how we can help reach people. Okay? Things that, simple things, I think, that we can do in church to help be welcoming of the unchurched. Now, some of those things might not be high on our priority list, but it's what concerns visitors. Are we as a church doing everything we can to help people hear the truth about Jesus? Or are we putting stumbling blocks in their way? Paul does whatever he can, regardless of his rights, to win whoever he can. He could earn money for preaching the gospel, but he does it for free. He's free to live without Jewish customs, but he gives up that freedom to win the Jews. He allows himself to be weak, to get alongside weak people. And so Paul sets for us an example of doing whatever we can, regardless of our rights, to win whoever we can. And of course our priority is to win people to Christ by reaching the lost in our community with the gospel of Jesus. Christ has set us free. Yeah. But instead of doing what we can to defend our rights and freedoms, let's use them so that it can be said of us that we're willing to give up anything if it will help win people to Jesus. Some really challenging words there, aren't there? This is not easy. So let's pray and ask for the Spirit to help us as we respond to God's word tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're free, that because of Jesus you've set us free, free from sin and death, free from the upcoming judgment, free to serve one another in love. Father, we indeed thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ who gave up his rights to become a man, to be obedient to the point of death so that he could win us for his kingdom. Father, we thank you for the amazing sacrifice that he made. And Father, we thank you for the amazing transformation of the Apostle Paul a man who used to go around beating up on Christians if he could, 
to prevent the gospel from being proclaimed. Father, you gave him true freedom and we give thanks for the example he sets us of what it means to live a free life but yet enslaved to people to win them to Christ. Father, we've heard some challenging words tonight and so we pray for your spirit to be at work in us in the the days and weeks to come that we might continue to churn these things over in our minds and in our hearts. Father, we pray that you would help us to work out ways in which we can become all things to all people that we might save some. Father, we pray for that non-Christian person that we thought of a few minutes ago. Father, help us to be to know what, what freedoms and rights we need to give up in order to help them. Father, we pray that you continue to work in our hearts, to break our hearts, to give us compassion for the lost so that we might see that giving up our freedoms is less of a cost than seeing a whole swag of people from our community going to hell because they don't yet know Jesus. So, Father, we pray that you would work in us individually and as a church that we might do whatever we can to help win people for Jesus. And we pray this because we do want to see him honoured as Lord and Saviour in every community. And so it's in his name we pray. Amen.